Most of the stuff that I do ends up landing under the kind of umbrella of language arts. You know, it's expressing ideas or feelings with artistically crafted language. Today's guest is, wow, she's amazing. I mean, she's a, she's a singer and she's a podcast host, a rapper and a writer. And all of these things, she's been making a career doing things her own way. Whether it's a new rap single or video or an energetic pop and fuse song like her latest single, Blush. You like it when I wear my hair down, but I say that way it just gets in my eyes. You say that's exactly what you like so much. I think that sums us up sometimes. I'll be your favorite me, mostly carefree. Life's easily, but what you can't see in my routine is how hard it gets to keep the heartbeat clean. I can see the pride. Uh, she also gives lectures around the country, performs on a TEDx stage and even hosts a podcast called Deeply Human for the BBC. Dessa infuses her thoughts that are such a wonderful mix of like wisdom and wit and candor into the various ways that she creates. I can't wait for you to hear the story of Dessa. Enjoy the show. So I'm going to ask you a question that I've been pondering the last week because you, you do so many things. So... You know, you're a writer, performer, you're hosting an incredible podcast. And did I see that you also have an ice cream flavor and a bourbon? Did I read that right somewhere? I do. Yeah. In years past, I'd partnered with Izzy's Ice Cream, Mm. um, which is a rad like local Minneapolis and St. Paul brand. And also with the Minnesota Rock Filter Distillery. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So if you were to, if Dessa was to describe Dessa, like how would you describe what you do yeah i mean usually i'll try to be mindful of like i'm not taking up too much time you know i I have a career that meanders a bit and i don't want to like bore an otherwise you know otherwise willing conversationalist by listing hyphens and stuff so usually i'll say i'm a writer and a musician and if they ask some follow-ups i'll get into the fact that i do a podcast and some performance art yeah if you were to take those like writing song you know the, you're performing, uh, the podcasting and all that sort of thing, which either in general or which right now gives you the most energy and, 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 you know, feels you the most life. Yeah. I mean, in some way it feels like all of the stuff that I do ends up landing under one. um, Most of the stuff that I do ends up landing under the kind of umbrella of language arts, you know, it's expressing ideas or feelings with artistically crafted language. So I think on paper, some of those endeavors look further apart than they feel in practice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think in their own ways, they're all invigorating and vivifying and exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) I feel some of the same depth and writing in your podcast hosting as well. Do you feel like all of those things kind of build off each other and feed into each other? Yeah, I do. I mean, I feel like even since before I knew what creative nonfiction was, like I liked the idea of telling true stories but with the same like care and craft and artfulness as somebody might approach novel writing or writing a screenplay. I like stories that at the end say, and this really happened, you know, or based on a, based on a true story. I'm naturally attracted to those. So yeah, I think whether writing memoirs, memoiristic essays or a podcast that contains a lot of, you know, lived experience in addition to scientific fact Mm. uh, or songs, all of those feel of a part and of a piece to me. Mm, I love it. 
And I also enjoy uh, your humorous quips throughout your podcast because oftentimes you'll you'll giggle or you'll say something and I'm like, oh, I was thinking something just like that. It was so great. And I will share with you too. My wife is a pretty hardcore podcast critic. And so I was listening to one of your episodes recently. She goes, oh, who is that? I like that. And then I heard her in the background. Hell yeah, girl. And she just is like, so I sent it to her. I was listening to season two and I don't know if it was accents or, you know, you, you cover the, the way people are more or less judged or bias comes in when it comes to accents or the nakedness episode, which I found charming and hilarious and incredibly insightful. So yeah, it was really fantastic. Let's just talk about perhaps like your music style, right? So I was thinking about how to frame this because I, I feel like, Hey, share with me. How would you describe your music style? seems really sort of like lame cop out, but I feel like there's, there's messaging there and it feels like it has a lot of different genre influences. So, you know, is, is that fair? It might, it might. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah, totally. I think there are a lot of genres that, that either kind of swirl together in a single song or that I move through. You know, I like, I like big vocal harmonies. I like sad songs with, you know, with acoustic instruments. I like rap bangers. And most of those I've, I've tried to create at some point in my career too. Yeah, no, that's great. So what about in today's like modern sort of marketing scape, right? You, you create your music and then do you enjoy the marketing side of it? Like promoting yourself, doing the video, doing the social, all that sort of thing. Do you see that yeah, just part I mean, of it or? I think there are parts of the, of the promotional efforts that do feel creative and can feel fun. I mean, dreaming up a music video feels like an artistic effort in and of itself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's not necessarily the case about trying to figure out like how to post the same show flyer without boring people because I don't, I'm really conscious of spamming. Like I don't like to be spammed and I don't want to spam, but at the same time, because of the rate of, of social media content heading out into the world, you do have to kind of say the same thing a few times to make sure it's heard by the people you're trying to get it to. So that part of the gig, I would say, can feel kind of onerous. But I don't feel uncomfortable telling people why I'm enthusiastic about something. And in some ways, it feels like, you know, if I write an essay or produce a podcast about human accents, then sharing that essay is not always me just trying to sell my work as much as it is trying to share my enthusiasm about the thing that made me want to make the work in the first place. That, that's when it feels best, mm-hmm. is when it feels honest and when I'm confident that I'm offering something that the listener might reasonably be interested in because it's legitimately fascinating or beautiful or funny. So yeah, I mean, the idea of like force feeding hyperbole down on anybody's throat feels really distasteful. So I try to avoid it when I can. Yeah, that's great. So, all right, let's jump back to, you know, young Dessa. So how did your growing up influence what you're doing now? Because I think you grew up in the Midwest. Is that right? I did. Yeah, I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and my mother was from New York. My dad was a Midwesterner. And he played the lute, which is like an Elizabethan precursor to the guitar. And he also played acoustic classical guitar. And I think that probably the 
the mournfulness, the melancholy of some of the melodies that featured in his work also attracted me. I mean, he, he's playing essentially in a lot of ancient, or not ancient, a lot of long dead composers. Right. And in the house we had songs like, or artists like Sade and Whitney Houston and Tina Turner, Michael Jackson was played a lot in my house. The Beatles were played a lot in my house. And those I'm sure sunk in, you know, it's like your skull is kind of semi-permeable then. So I'm sure that that sunk into the gray matter too. And, and my mom had a killer, 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 killer singing voice. And so, you know, for a long time, I thought that it was kind of a little bit foolhardy to pursue a career in music because I wasn't even the best like singer at my address. So, wow. yeah, and I, and I was aware of how competitive the industry was. And then I think it was later, you know, kind of having met a lot more people and heard a lot more music. And I thought, oh, right. and my mom just has a really great voice <laughs> <laughs> and chose to pursue public relations instead. And I still probably have a shot at this. Yeah. So how did you experience their music then? Did they just do that around the house? Did they, were they, did they do local gigs? Did they include you in music making? Like how did that manifest itself in your, in your childhood? So my dad, when I was very small, he was a, he was a professional musician, you know, so earning modestly, Mm -hmm. but he was, he was playing in like an orchestral pit for like a children's orchestra. And before I was born, he was touring as a lutenist, as a lute player. My mom was not a professional musician, but she was always singing. Like, like anytime she wasn't inhaling or asleep, you know, she was singing. Wow. And so that was a big part, I think, of my, what I would consider now a musical education, although I probably wouldn't have reframed it as such if I had gotten to another field, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, when we were in the car, she would say, okay, sing along to the radio and, and try to sing something that isn't in the song, you know, like find a harmony, although she wouldn't have phrased it that way or, find a counter melody you know we were always kind of singing with the radio not along with the radio we were accompanying the radio yeah and that's super fun yeah that was a big part of my musical landscape i guess as a kid so i don't want to assume but i would reckon to believe that then they encouraged you from a creative perspective to pursue the arts, writing, no. music, no? <laughs> I mean, I think my dad my dad was always just like, find what you love yeah. and find somebody to pay you for it. That was his vibe. You know, he loved music, so he worked in music. He then later fell in love with audiology, or he enjoyed audiology, and he fell in love with gliders, which are motorless planes. So mm-hmm. my dad wasn't like a, he wasn't unduly preoccupied with wealth. Financial security was important, but it could be achieved pretty easily if you were willing to like thrift shop and rent and stuff. Right. My mom, I think probably kind of hoped I'd go the professional route. And I think my dad, he voiced his confusion when I first started rapping. I, I don't think the music thing was a concern, but you know, what he knew about rap had lyrics that he couldn't understand how they might relate to what he knew of my worldview. So as you started your career, you know, did you graduate high school and go right on the road? Did you go to college? Like, how, what was the step from, hey, I'm going to yeah. start doing this? And Yeah, I was, I was, I went to college and studied philosophy and did, did a lot of creative writing classes as well. So I had graduated a bit early because I had done like one of those IB programs in high school. Mm-hmm. So I had graduated just before I turned 21 and I had like sung a little bit in college, but I, I hadn't, I, I wasn't in choir or band or theater or anything. And 
yeah, it was kind of late that I joined. For a rapper, that's very incredible. For a musician, that's just an incredibly late start in a lot of ways. So it was as a failed writer, essentially, that I ended up being on stage. I couldn't get anything published, and so my best friend, Jacqueline, encouraged me to try to recite one of my essays at a slam, which is like a competitive poetry reading. Yeah, well, that is awesome. Yes, that was like my first performative entry was like trying to figure out how to perform an essay. Mm -hmm. All right, Dessa, let's go back there, right? They try to help me, help me visualize. Your friend talked you into this, right? Mm -hmm. So let's first start. Were you excited or nervous about it? Or something um, else? Yeah, probably both. Yeah, yeah, probably both. All right. Can you remember walking up on that stage and starting on the mic? What did that feel like? Yeah, I mean, I know that I wore very shiny pants, at least to one of those early performances, because I thought they were very flattering. And later when I saw footage, I realized that like a satin sheen will reveal any motion. And so the shaking of my knees made it look like I was like a waterfall from the waist down. I remember thinking these are not good pants for stage. But yeah, a lot of it, I think in the beginning was being excited because some of the feedback was good, but also yeah. really trying to manage my nerves, shaking hands, shaking voice, sweating, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I still get really nervous before performances, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't, I, I've not performed you know, like you have, I've given talks at big conferences and I don't care how many times I've done it, no matter if there's 2000 people or 50 people, or even five people, quite honestly, you get up on a stage and you start getting all the feels. Right. And I, I think, I don't know about you, but once I get a line or two in, I tend to calm down, mm. you know, I start yeah. to be like, okay, I got yeah. this. Is that the same for you? It takes me quite, it takes me more than that, but yes, there is a point. I would say probably a third of the way through a set that I start to relax. Knock, knock, 10 o'clock, housekeeping with breakfast. Our shop, coffee hot, airborne in the French press. Face down on the bedspread, color nearly half dead. So recognizable as a regular guest. All right, so you take the leap and you become a professional performer, right? And so did you just jump right into life on the road like what 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 is that like i think for a lot of us there is no leap like that you know yeah. it's just like you're performing sometimes you're waiting tables sometimes or you're working your side hustle and as time goes on you're performing more and waiting fewer tables but there's no i think for a lot of people there's no like triumphant moment where you walk into the restaurant and throw your apron on the ground because <laughs> you might have to come back in two months after the tour is over and pick right. a weekend shift so, he's gonna have my job uh, back yeah absolutely yeah. or what is a job? I mean, it's all shift work, you know, there's a, I shouldn't say it's all shift work, but I, there's obviously a reason that a lot of creative types dig the relatively high hourly and the low commitment, you know, like mm -hmm. a serving gig or a bartending gig, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, for me, I was, you know, I was working a few jobs that, that one of them was serving. I wasn't very good at it, but like I was good at charming my tables. I just wasn't any good at feeding them. <laughs> And, hey, it's good to know, know your strengths, a, right? I mean, you know yeah, what I mean? You are yeah, just, yeah, yes. Yeah. It was a charm offensive because yeah. nobody has any pasta. Yeah. Um, and then I worked as a, as a medical tech writer. So like writing some of the documents associated with like implantable defibrillators and pacemakers, cardiac stuff. And I was a face painter for 10 years and slowly just needed to take fewer of those gigs. You know, so it's almost like the last shift that I worked I was probably unaware that that was the last shift that I was going to work. Got you know, it. you just kind of sail off into tour and see if you need to return. Yeah. Wow. So 
how how do you approach your writing whether and let's just stick with music like how do you start you know do you have a do you literally have like a set time you sit down or is, is it like a strike of inspiration or is it kind of a combination of things how do you approach that and, and what's your what's your lens of of the type of messages you want to share in your music yeah i mean i i would say that rarely has like a song idea just come and and struck me in the kind of way that we would see, you know, inspiration strike like lightning on a TV show. I know that does happen to other artists, but it doesn't usually happen to me. Sometimes I'll get, not lightning bolts, but like little shocks. So like a particular turn of phrase that's overheard, we'll seem like, ooh, there's some art in that. It's not a full song, it's not a full verse, it's not a chorus, it's not even rhyming words, but just a little something, you know, a little phrase. And I'll jot that down like in my iPhone, you know, or in a notebook or something. And then when it's time to write a song, usually it, I'll listen to a musical arrangement or a scrap of music over and over and over again and kind of go through my list of scraps to see if there's anything that might stick that mm -hmm. feels like the phrasing is appropriate at that tempo or the vibe is right, you know? If it's a, whatever, if it's a banger, something mean, if it's a melancholic lick, something bittersweet and, and start to kind of build mosaic-wise from there and then write lines to kind of connect those bits once a shape starts taking form. I would say with the exception of one or two songs, I've, I have not as of yet sat down to say, here's a message I want to share. Yeah. In part because I, I don't, I am very sensitive as an, as an art, as a reader and as a listener, as a consumer of art. I am very sensitive to messages that feel moralized. Hmm. that feel designed to teach me something by somebody who knows better. I am, I'm, I don't like that. I, I, that's not the kind of thing I dig. I do like stories where somebody has learned something and is willing to share that with me by virtue of, let's say, their missteps. Mm -hmm. You know, that's dope. That kind of candor and humility, I dig. Yeah. So I think for the most part, I'll share a true story and trust that whatever trust that truth does its own work you know yeah. it'll resonate some some reeds and some other chests even if i don't know exactly which ones hmm. that's beautiful it sounds like that in your songwriting then there's a part of discovery that you experience on the way when you're putting those different things mm -hmm. together i think there can be yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's less like like i'm not the kind of you know i hear some writers say i just start to write and i learn the character and i just followed her around i don't feel like you know, this song has got me by the lip and has mm -hmm. taken me on a journey. I'm very much doing the thing. But I think just by virtue of being one human in one human body, mm -hmm. the thoughts and the scenes and the little scraps of overheard language that I tend to gravitate to are often thematically connected. Have you ever heard of the group Sleeping At Last? Ryan O'Neill uh, is a singer-songwriter. He, The first time I interviewed him, he's he does a lot of the music for our show, but he told me something really incredible and it's simple but he had, he was reading about a famous songwriter he'll probably make fun of me if he hears this episode it was probably like the beatles or someone you know incredible and they were talking about writing a song as like going to the bus stop you have to keep showing up and you know sure. sometimes the bus arrives sometimes it doesn't and uh, that really stuck with me because i from a on the creative side of things, you know, if I'm writing or designing or creating art or whatever, that feels very true to me. Sometimes I just feel like energized by it and, you know, it's there and I explore it. And other times it, I feel like, you know, I could, 
bang my pencil against a journal or, or whatever, and it, nothing's coming out. Right. Yeah. So, I would second to that. Mm-hmm. Now, when, for a lot of your career, you've, you've been more or less a solo act. Is that right? I think it's like, are you familiar with Wu-Tang? Oh yeah. Wu-Tang Clan? Like in the way that all of those artists are solo artists, but then often have collaborated within that click. That would say is the shape that my career has had. So I've written solo work for a long time, but you know, performed and toured and built things with Doomtree, the collective that I'm a part of as well. What are some of your favorite or go-to hip hop rap artists that you listen to? I think so, the, probably the formative one that really, you know, got a lot of like, a lot of repeats, like wear the disc out when I was in my teenage years was, was Lauren Hill. Nice. The Miseducation, that album? Yes, exactly. That no. thing is brilliant. No joke, man. Holds up. Still, yeah. Still crushes. Yeah. Well, I know you may have heard of these guys, but uh, I got into it really young. Like my my mom was and my uncles and everybody else is in the classic rock, which is nothing wrong with that. But I just wanted to do something different. And for some reason, I love basketball. I love the basketball culture. So I don't know. Eric Bean, Rakim were just, I listened to all of their albums. And then what's amazing is then you hear other artists sampling their music. And it's it's a kind of a crazy awesome culture where work yeah. kind of builds off it off other artists. I love that. So, and Lauren Hill, you know, everything from the Fugees to her so- solo stuff, she's done so much great, great work. Yeah, totally. And, and outcast too, mm-hmm. you know, that, yeah, definitely, definitely wore it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So doom tree, so doom tree is a collective and I think you described it best. It's, if I understand it right, it's a group of solo artists that also collaborate in different ways on each other's albums, but also do you guys have, do you go and do concerts together? How does that work? We used to, yeah, we haven't been active as a crew for a while, but very much so we've toured, we toured the world together. Yeah. At least so, a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you give a snapshot of what touring is like? You know, cause I, mm. I'll go to, I'll go to a gig and if it's someone who's not filling a major Coliseum, you know, I'll go somewhere and they'll have like a merch table. Right. And, and they will be amazing and there'll be people there, but it feels like a lot of it is hands-on. What is it like? Like what's a day-to-day kind of tour thing like? Yeah. I think it really probably is like the experience of touring probably depends very much on how much money a band is making, like right. a huge chunk of your life is determined by whether or not your band makes enough money to travel in a bus. Because a bus just isn't like more comfortable than a car. It has nothing to do with that. A bus can drive at night. The van is driven during the day. So if you drive at night, you know, you have a driver who's driving your sleeping body to the next city. That means you wake up and you're living as a diurnal creature, you know, that you can walk around the city and have a, have a day. And if you are sleeping in a hotel that night and then driving yourself or at a friend's house or whatever, and then driving yourself the next day, you know, most of your waking hours are spent in a van. So I've done maybe three bus tours, but most of my life has been van tours. So, you know, some of that's grimy and super fun when you're young You know, people sleeping on the floor, you know, seven bodies in a room, trying to sneak people into that room past the front desk and stuff. And as you might imagine, like it's like less fun as you're in your thirties. 
And so now at this point in my career, I would say like it's, we sleep in hotels and decent hotels and that feels awesome. I still travel in a van. And usually you play like, I would say between five and seven nights a week, usually, usually five or six nights. And yeah, it, there's a camaraderie. It feels like summer camp on wheels a little bit. The inside jokes, the kind of goofiness that comes from exhaustion very snack based every tour i've been on has been very snack based <laughs> and i think that's like some weird m mammal thing yeah of like you know in times of scarcity you hoard so like everybody has like packets full of peanuts and you know i have like a packet full of like every condiment that you could want and everyone's looking forward to this like you know the one particular diner in philly that has the vegan chili steak or whatever yeah. cheese steak so yeah i think i think it does it's kind of a world in itself. Mm. It feels probably like carnies or something. Like you're your own culture. You pack mm. your own culture into your vehicle and you take it with you and set it up again at the next stop. Was there a particular performance or uh, consistent place you would perform that was just always Brad, just amazing mm. experience and that you couldn't wait to get there? Or you walked up stage yeah. like, gosh, damn, that was amazing. I mean, I think I've been doing it too long to pick one. It's like, yeah. what was your single favorite day? It's like, you've yeah. been along too live to pick, but yeah. but I'm a fan of the Sinclair in Boston. Played first Ave in the city that I grew up in, Minneapolis is always fun. I really like the Sultan Room in Brooklyn. It's this cool, funky little room. It holds like 250 people. It's just fresh. Really, really dig it. So yeah, I think in each, you know, there are probably like a dozen favorite yeah. markets that I look forward to. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I know uh, it's like trying to figure out which of those days that are blurry was your favorite, but a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know venues often have an incredible charm, or you just sometimes just feel comfortable in them and you just perform better. And I, so I think there's a lot of ego too. I mean, very, very infrequently, if you ask a musician, what's your favorite venue? Or what's your favorite city? Are they going to pick one where they don't have a big draw? <laughs> like, I sure, like the ones that sure. like me back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I'd love to, for you to describe, and again, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it. Is, you, is it your IDES or IDES project? Like, how do you, mm. can you Ides, share a little bit like about the that? Ides of March. Mm -hmm. There we go. All right. Yeah. Pardon, pardon my ignorance there. Oh, God, uh, not at all. It's a weird word. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, tell me about like it, what it's about, how you came up with it. So during the pandemic, the first part of it, I wasn't making much art at all. Like a lot of art, well, all of us were just feeling messed up. wasn't feeling very creative. And then as the, the interest in art making returned, I thought, you know, this might be an opportunity to break from the usual industry cycle of like, write a record, record a record, tour record until nobody's really interested, then go home, rinse and repeat the whole cycle. There wasn't any touring to be done, so it seemed like that convention could also be abandoned, at least temporarily. So I decided to do like a song series where I would release a single on the same day of every month. And to try to help people remember the day on which I would release it, I named the whole series Ides, meaning about the middle of the month. It's like a Roman calendar thing. And I released a song on the 15th of the month for the first, just over the first half of 2021 and made a video for most of them maybe yeah almost all of them maybe and you know in the beginning that meant like trying to find videos that could be done outside on the cheap with one other person you know working yeah. within the confines of the pandemic but yeah i made some stuff that i'm really proud of it felt good i wasn't sure how it was gonna work at first i was very stressed out because i 
I couldn't control the process as much as I usually would. I wanted to go in, you know, I like to be there when it's mixed so I can make little changes or adjustments. Mm -hmm. I like to, you know, be a big, sit next to a designer when we're finishing an album. And there was no, there was no doing that. You know, you, we weren't allowed mm -hmm. to be near one another. So yeah, yeah, I ended up, it ended up changing the way that I think I work after the pandemic too, by just being a little bit like loosening my clenched fist on some of those variables hmm. a little more. Mm -hmm. Did you feel the music turned out the way you'd hoped as or better or the same as your other music? I did. I think it turned out really well. Yeah, I'm proud of all those songs. I mean, there's, of course, there's a couple, you know, it's like with any project where yeah. I can hear the imperfections on a couple of tunes in a way that bothers me. But on the whole, I, I'm really proud of that project. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And, you know, the reference is more and you're changing. I feel so much of the world has changed over the last two years. And a lot of times I've looked back to some of the work we've done and I was like, wow, we, this turned out as good, if not better when we were yeah. doing it the old way. Right. So it was, yeah. a, it's kind of an interesting lesson. Agreed. How much is really necessary to do great work? I think a lot of people's standards were revisited. Yeah. Well, I'd love to start talking about deeply human. I think smart can be funny. I think science happens in street clothes. And I think that a better understanding of human nature can help us be more generous with other people's weird behavior and more critical of our own. Deeply Human. It's a date. Me, you, and your brain. Subscribe wherever pods are cast. I can't tell you how much I've loved that show. It's just, for me, honestly, I, I uh, you know, kind of ebb and flow. I consume a ton of media and the, the science, the storytelling, and the humor all together is just it's just like a wonderful mix for me so how did you that show begin did you come up with it did someone approach you on it how did that all develop yeah so the bbc had a show called the why factor and it was kind of behavioral science an investigation of why and how people behave and they were going to reboot it and as part of that reboot they knew that they wanted an american host and so i had a friend Allie at like Minnesota Public Radio, who alerted me to that fact, who mentioned, hey, we're going to actually be working in tandem with the BBC on this kind of like joint venture. Would you have an interest in, I shouldn't say addition, like, do, would you have an interest in the position if they were interested in you? And, you know, it's like, yeah, yes, absolutely. So <laughs> I happened to, yeah, I happened to have like a tour date on the books for London. And so I got to meet with like the commissioning editor of the BBC World, BBC World Service, like in a in a green room essentially like over and amid open suitcases you know and got the gig and was super stoked super super stoked yeah oh, oh man that's great and how uh serendipitous that you had a tour date there too that's really fantastic yeah totally so how do you prepare for a show i mean do, do you have a team do you do you kind of outline the topics or do you kind of do that collaboratively with a team yeah there's definitely like uh there's been a lot of people now with whom I've worked at the, at the BBC. So they're based in, the team with whom I work is based in London. And each episode has like a producer and me. And then there's always the same kind of editor sitting atop the project. We'll try to arrive on topics that feel interesting to most of us, you know, or to the, to the producers with whom I'd be partnered in making that thing. So to find something is essentially that's just, you know, mutually interesting. And then, there's a lot of digging, you know, there's a lot of research. Sometimes if we're lucky, we'll also have the help of a researcher to be able to 
ping questions at and maybe shoot some links back our way. And I think for me, the, the challenge is to find interesting and unanticipated ways to approach mm -hmm. relatively elemental questions. Why is it hard to you know, find a partner? Why animals wear clothes? Why, why do humans wear clothes Yeah, <laughs> when other animals don't? <laughs> but to find kind of like, you know, a couple of really, really knowledgeable experts, but knowledgeable experts who are also game to like josh around and yeah. go off script and who can be compelled to put aside any talking points. That's great. And just be human. Yeah. And yeah. just, you know, have a conversation instead of have an interview. For me, that's really important. Yeah. Well, and it's... to do that, I feel like the onus then is on the the host, just on me in that case. Like, I can't come in and expect someone to give me the, the grace and the latitude to behave totally casually if I'm not well prepared and I don't know what I'm talking about and I can't speak right. credibly about their field a little bit. So, you know, I try to do some Twitter stalking and find out if they have kids, find out what their family life is like, read a good chunk of their book instead of just reading a synopsis or bullet yeah. points. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. I think that, for example, the naked ish, the nakedness show. I love how you open that up. Just that very line of, you know, why do humans wear clothes and animals don't? And then that story arc of the guy that went on that reality show was just a brilliant way to get you started and then you know come back to it. Well, thanks. So when you were talking to some of the experts on the various episodes, you know, how hard is it? And I know it depends on the person, but how, how hard is it sometimes to get them to push out of their comfort zone? Like, do you give them a heads up or do you just try to see what happens naturally? I mean, I think part of the trick is also in assembling the right cast. So before we invite an expert on, the producer or I will try to watch the other presentations that they've given. You know, some people are brilliant, but kind of dry. Mm -hmm. And so that might not be the perfect match for a program like mine. So we'll try to find somebody who's like a charismatic communicator or who at least will crack a laugh into a laugh. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. 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 Who, who, who at least is, is game to engage in that way. And so I think half of it is in the casting and then, yeah, it's very much in how I join the call. Like I like to talk to people about even when, just when they're setting up their mics and stuff, because you're setting the tone, like you're a human, you're setting yeah. the tone for a conversation. It's not like the convo starts because you said I'm pressing record now, like now you're engaging with a stranger. So set the tone from the first moment of contact if you can. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. And I think that, uh, it, at least the experience I've had, for example, like we have a mutual connection and how did you meet Dave Gould, by the way? I think he sent an email. I remember, yeah, he sent an email. God, it's years ago now. Yeah. And I ended up, yeah, performing and serving as like a, a visiting artist, a visiting, you know, an artist in residence, I guess. Yeah. Technically on his campus. Yeah. 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 He's one of the kindest human beings in the entire world. I just, I love that guy so much. And, and an enthusiastic dude. Yeah. Eager to make connections. Yeah. Well, it's funny. We were talking about just tastes and, you know, things that we're into. And he's like, oh, I didn't know he liked rap music and this or that. And he's like, have you ever heard of Tessa? And I was just like, no, but tell me more. And so he sent me all of your links That's and so just sweet. kept talking about that. And I was like, oh, Dave, the only way I can meet her, that'd be incredible. So, <laughs> so um, he is, he uh, is really great. So I owe him another big thank you to meeting you. So as I look at all the things you're doing, when you are thinking about your music or your show and your writing, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, but are there particular viewpoints or types of messages and stories that you want to share 
the ones that really get you most excited that you or you just kind of look at what's happening in the world at the at the time and and kind of explore it from there oh gosh it's, it's almost like it happens in reverse what do i mean by that it's less like I'm scanning the horizon and looking for something interesting to write about, that I'm trying to identify what arrow just pushed through my sternum from the back. Like what forces are actually moving you in your life and moving others too? And how could you better understand them? Maybe from a vantage point that isn't very often taken. So heartbreak, that, it, that interests you because every, when you're in it, it interests you because you can't help but be interested right. in it. And obviously that's a, that's a near universal experience at some point in people's lives. So for me, the interesting thing about tackling heartbreak was either doing so with an unanticipated metaphor or a few years ago and combining that with an interest in neuroscience, you know, to mm. try to figure out what's happening in your brain when your heart is broken and why. Mm -hmm. mm, I love it. Are your mom and dad still around? They are. Yeah. So what did yeah. they think of your show? They're super into it. Yeah, you're. thank you for asking. I kind of threw them both under the bus. Now they're super down. And yeah. my mom on Facebook is always like, look what Dessa did. You know, she doesn't call me. <laughs> she yeah. doesn't say that one right at the table. Yeah. But yeah, she she always wants me to write happier stuff. So I think whenever I write a happy song, she's stoked, which is maybe just like some mom <laughs> thing, you know? Yeah, um, she's worried about yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly yeah, that. Yeah. And she, she, was, she asked me, like, why do you write so many so many sad songs? You write music to bleed out, too. And I was like, <laughs> Thanks, where'd Mom. you learn that? <laughs> where'd you learn that phrase, Mom? Yeah, yeah. And then my dad is just a total music head. So, you know, I had the opportunity to perform several times now and to record with the Minnesota Orchestra. And I think my dad counted out every beat. You know, you could see mm. him keeping time on his knee. It's just like a metronome and a leather vest. So he's, yeah, they're, they're immensely supportive and proud. Oh man, that has to feel incredible. It does, yeah, it feels really, well, particularly, I mean, I think as most pop musicians might say, particularly because they spent so many years worried, like when are you gonna get a job? <laughs> you know, and that's, yeah. that's legit. I mean, that isn't said out of anything but love, I think yeah. for most musicians or, or artists, I should say, across the board. You're doing something risky, with no clear trajectory for success and a lot of instability. Yeah, and so sometimes I'm kind of like, you know, late late nights, you don't always look great at Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, you smell <laughs> like the show last night, so. Oh, that's so good. Well, Dessa, thank you for uh, giving me time. I think the work you do is absolutely brilliant here. I've really enjoyed your show and your writing and I can't wait to read more. And Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to hear it. We'll make sure to share. For more on Dessa and her singing, rapping, writing videos and podcasts, check out her site, DessaWander.com. That is D-E-S-S-A-W-A-N-D-E-R.com. And search for Dessa wherever you listen to music. I also want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing our show soundtrack. For more on Sleeping At Last music, please go to SleepingAtLast.com or search for Sleeping At Last wherever you get your music. To Design Of's audio engineer, Steve Wick, who loved this episode so much, he started playing his favorite old rap cassettes. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. 
Tell others about our show on your social of choice and stay tuned for more of season eight coming soon. Please follow us on Twitter at design of podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash design of podcast. See you next episode.